Welcome to the AJP Heart and Sark podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Kehan. Today we'll discuss a new study by Becker et al. titled Age-Related Changes in Left Ventricular Vortex and Energy Loss Patterns from Newborns to Adults. This rapid report was published March 10th, 2023 in our call for papers on the impact of aging on the cardiovascular system. Joining us today are Associate Editor Dr. Amanda LeBlanc, First Author Dr. Christian Becker, and Guest Editor of the Call for Papers, Dr. Ann Chow. Let's get started. Amanda? Thanks, Kara. In this rapid report by Becker et al., the authors demonstrate for the first time echocardiographic evidence of a transition in the left ventricular vortex patterns from the newborn period up to the adult period. And this was associated with a change in cardiac inefficiency, which was marked by increased energy loss during infancy. So Christian, I always like to ask the authors to kind of frame this study for others. What really got this started? Sure, thank you for for having me on. It's a great opportunity to talk about some of the work that we've uh, been doing in pediatric cardiology and and sort of expanding how we can use echo. So uh, I did the majority of this work during my pediatric residency at Mount Sinai. And it grew after uh, through my interest in uh, echo and advanced imaging. I'm trying to understand a little bit more about how the left ventricle in children uh, might be a little bit different in how it's working as opposed to how it's uh, seen in adults uh, with the ultimate goal of understanding and applying this to congenital heart disease. So meeting with some of the faculty there, uh, Shubi Srivastava, the senior author, uh, was starting to do work with uh, vector flow mapping, which is a a technique that we'll talk a little bit more about. uh, And for the first time, people were looking at this in in children uh, and uh, using that and having the opportunity to sort of study something new. We just gathered the data and started looking for interesting patterns and this sort of popped up. Uh, sort of as a, a natural uh, analysis. So diving in, looking a little bit deeper, uh, we saw that there was this connection and this change over time between newborns uh, as they entered uh, infancy and into uh, childhood and young adulthood. And we just sort of took it from there and let the the data and the science uh, lead itself. That's great. So Anne, You're one of the guest editors for this call for papers. In your opinion, what was the most interesting thing to you uh, about this study? This study, they used vector force mapping to examine uh, left ventricular vortex pattern and energy loss in newborn to uh, young adult. I think before this study, there has been very few information about the vortex patterns of newborn or very young children. So to me, the most interesting things is their observation of the transition of vortex pattern from having only one early diastolic vortex in newborns to uh, having two early diastolic vortexes um, during uh, the two months to two years of age. So to me, that's the most interesting findings. So with this vortex flow mapping, Christian, um, can you help us break that down? Like simple terms, like why is this advantageous over existing methodologies? What makes this so so like late and great and awesome? Sure. So uh, ultrasound has been used for quite a, a while to sort of understand 
uh, how the heart is is working and, and squeezing. And you know, as technology improves, we wanted to sort of see if there was a way to expand some of our knowledge of using a portable method like ultrasound. Could we get some of the data that you can only get through MRI, like diastolic function uh, and some things beyond ejection fraction? And I think vector flow mapping uh, is a good bridge between cardiac MRI uh, and traditional ultrasound. So uh, vector flow mapping is a, a technique uh, used in uh, echo uh, cardiography that combines um, Doppler ultrasound and blood speckle tracking. And really in simple terms, that means that it's able to follow the direction and the velocity of blood uh, in the heart. And that gives us a really good understanding of how the blood is moving. If it's moving in a coordinated fashion uh, are things like uh, cardiomyopathy or uh, arrhythmias or, or other things uh, changing how the blood is flowing and is it causing the blood to move in a less efficient manner uh, through the heart. Uh, and looking at some of these patterns in newborns and, and younger children, you would think the heart is the heart is the heart and it just sort of gets bigger proportionally and it should be the same in children as it is in adults. But uh, a lot of pediatricians would tell you that babies are not just small versions of adult people, uh, and they really do work differently. And as the heart grows, uh, it's no surprise to, to some of us that the heart adapts in, in a unique way to, to optimize efficiency. And, and we think that this is a small component of how, as the heart grows, that might be, be happening. So can you use this vector flow mapping in the heart wall itself to look at blood flow in the in the tissue of the heart, or is it really just for kind of chamber dynamics? It's mostly used for chamber dynamics. There are other uh, forms of echo, um, ultra high frequency, things like that that can look at blood flow uh, through the myocardium a little bit better. Um, but this is re its real use is looking at um, blood flow within the, the chambers and looking at how that blood is flowing, how its energy is potentially being transferred into the walls of the myocardium uh, in an inefficient manner. And so is it, it sounds like for an ultrasound machine, is this just something that can be purchased in addition to the standard ultrasound equipment? Or is this already um, something that's there that can be used? Sure. The method we use is, is through uh, a specific um, ultrasound machine made by Hitachi, but theoretically it's a, an add-on program that can be used with any standard setup uh, of ECHO. Uh, there's no special probe, there's no uh, special uh, thing beyond the software that really um, is utilized uh, in our techniques. Uh, so anybody can sort of use it um, to expand their sort of understanding of, of blood flow dynamics, I think, if they have an ultrasound. That's really cool. So Christian, can you share any behind the scenes study struggles? Sure. I always love this question because you just <laughs> never know what you're going to get. <laughs> well, you know, uh, first of all, 
this is an excellent opportunity to thank the the people that I worked with at, at Mount Sinai and other other places, uh, specifically Jen Cohen, the, the second author, and, and Shubhi Shrivastava, uh, my senior author. They've been my mentors, been excellent people to work with, uh, and really want to thank them for all of their years of support um, up to this point and sort of helping me to become uh, a good person uh, and a good physician uh, and a good scientist. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to say thank you to them. But in general, you know, in pediatrics, there's always going to be the struggle of finding people, finding children uh, and having a large enough cohort uh, to power a study. So we uh, at Mount Sinai do a lot of echoes, thousands a year, but only so many of them are in kids who have anatomically normal hearts because there's no real indication to do uh, one except if you have a baby with a new murmur or if a family member has uh, congenital heart disease that you might want to find in somebody else. So over that course of time of about six years that we were doing uh, thousands of echoes a, a year at Mount Sinai, we only got about uh, 75 patients that had the that met the criteria for our study and only 66 of them were were utilized in the study so to say we can go out and get uh, a thousand people and then look at this uh, in detail is is a mountain to climb for any pediatrician and if you look through the pediatric literature you'll see studies with 30 people 70 people a great study is anything over 100 so we're we're really limited in that way but at the same time we, we see so many interesting things in children. There's so much cool stuff to, to look into. And that, I think, applies as any life transition. So pediatrics into adulthood, adults into older adults. I think when we really look at the physiology and continue to explore these life transitions, you'll find some very interesting changes in physiology. Uh, and the heart is uh, a master adapter uh, and can really do some phenomenal things to, to maintain itself and maintain cardiac output um, across time. So regarding the increased energy loss in the pre-newborn phase, in the discussion of the article, you state that it corresponds to a period of accelerated anatomic growth. And so that got me thinking, you know, would this be similar to what happens in pregnant women when they develop, you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? You know, what are some of the ideas for why this may occur from a physiological standpoint? I'm always trying to think of it, you know, kind of evolutionary, like, why would this be happening? What is the purpose of this? So, you know, do we see this in, in other mammals? And this is an open-ended question for either of you. Sure, I can uh, talk a, a little bit about, you know, the, the literature has some interesting insights into um some animal models as well as some some things in other disease processes. So looking at uh, people with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, um, with uh, right-sided outlet obstruction, um, such as tetralogy of Fallot or, or other diseases, there do seem to be some interesting perturbations in how vortex formation occurs. Uh, and just the pattern that the, the heart figures out a way to adapt, to minimize energy loss, uh, and to maximize efficiency, even in the setting of disease. So there's some interesting papers out there. One that I can think of that looked at a dog model uh, and uh, sort of as the, the dogs age in very similar fashion to, to pediatrics, that the heart adapts and, and forms different size and, and shape of uh, vortex. Um, so the smaller the heart, the more tight 
more powerful or have higher strength uh, some of the vortexes are and as the heart grows it allows those vortexes to become a little bit larger less uh, energetically dense uh, and to allow blood to flow in a maximum efficiency way so i can't speak to to pregnancy necessarily but the heart does seem to want the goal is to minimize your uh, energy loss to make sure that the blood is maintaining its kinetic energy as it comes into and leaves the heart uh, and really the heart figures out a cool way to do that. And anything to add here? I think I have more of a question than answer. So Christian, what you just talked about, so the higher energy loss in newborn days, is it a result of the small chamber size in the newborn then? Like you mentioned how like the size of the chamber would limit the efficient vortex patterns. So is it because of the small size that they have a higher energy loss? I think so. The For the newborns, the energy loss uh, is sort of in a, lo- in a low range, similar to those in the adults. Um, and so the, the heart, when it's first born, about the size of a walnut, does a great job of maintaining high heart rate because the stroke volume is low. So to maintain cardiac output, it has that balance, high heart rate, uh, lower, lower stroke volume, but the, the vortex uh, is in the shape of, of whatever the left ventricle allows it to be to maximize that efficiency. As the heart grows, children grow 300% in the first uh, several years, the heart goes from about the size of a walnut to about the size of a peach. And in that change, the heart always has to be pumping always has to get blood wherever it needs to get blood to the toes, the tips of your fingers uh, in your brain, but it has to do that while changing in size and shape. It's always moving. So I thought about this uh, analogy similar to imagine driving down the highway and your car uh, starts having engine trouble and somebody's trying to repair the car as you're driving down the highway. It has to keep moving and it has to, to always be, be working. And that transition in size and shape of the, the heart has to come with a little bit of inefficiency. And so that change in the, the vortex pattern as it develops into the adult sort of size and shape, that pattern changes into the adult pattern with the two early diastolic uh, vortex. But that has a transition phase. It has some inefficiency in that transition. And so that's where your increase in energy loss comes as it transitions, and then it comes back down. The heart finds the best way to maximize efficiency um, and gets down to a lower energy loss state. Uh, so it, you know, there are there's a bumpy path uh, as all children have some some bumps in their their growth and development, um, but eventually they figure out how to do it. Interesting. Uh, I guess uh, kind of a follow up. So you mentioned there are more study out there about the left ventricular vortex pattern and energy loss from like more mature adult or like patient or some uh, older adult. So what is known about the age-related change of vortex pattern or energy loss from mature adult to elderly stage, like the age-related change in those later stage of life? Do they have change in vortex pattern or increased energy loss in advanced age? Sure. So I, I I won't claim to be a, have read every single paper on on this 
topic, uh, especially in adults, uh, as my my focus is in pediatric cardiology. But some of the foundational literature uh, when Vortex uh, vector flow mapping was first sort of in development was looking at how it might change as adults grow. And so there's a couple uh, good papers out there that look at uh, adults from sort of that early adult period, 18 years, uh, into uh, the 65, 75-year range. And the patterning doesn't change, but the the strength of the vortex does seem to decrease as uh, the heart ages. Uh, not dissimilar uh, from uh, ejection fraction, that as one is uh, in the sort of young uh, athletic time of their life, their EF is a little bit higher. And uh, in older adults, the EF decreases, but that doesn't mean the heart is working any less well. Uh, so I think the size and the shape and the strength of the, the vortexes does decrease as the heart uh, ages, but it maintains low energy loss uh, and continues to, to maximize its efficiency uh, despite some of those uh, changes in, uh, in, at a fundamental physiologic level. So how does these changes in diastolic vortex pattern and energy loss correlate to change in diastolic function? What are we looking at between these parameters? Sure, that's a that's a good question. Um, I I'd have to, to dip into the literature a little bit uh, to to find out um, if there's been some good comparisons with uh, cardiac MRI data uh, and vector flow mapping data to see if there are good correlations, uh, direct correlations with uh, diastolic ejection fractions and and changes in size and shape and strength uh, of vortex. But what I do know is that when you look at uh, studies in dilated cardiomyopathy and uh, some transplant data uh, in cardiology, that there are changes in, in vortex. Uh, and the size, the shape, and the strength of the vortex are changed in some of those those patients when compared con- to controls. So there's something happening uh, for sure. Uh, and I think that that data, if it is not out there, should be studied post-haste. Definitely. So Christian, what's the next steps for you in this area of research? Have you started on a, a larger pediatric cohort yet? Yes, we're always looking to to have more patients and sort of continue to understand this uh, uh, and keep on having a foundational, fundamental uh, understanding of uh, the physiology in, in pediatric cardiology. And we'll keep on collecting data as long as we can. Part of the, the next steps is also to look at how some of these uh, vector flow parameters and characteristics might be different in children who have congenital heart disease. So how children with single ventricles, uh, either a single right ventricle or a single left ventricle, might have different flow patterns. And, And can we determine how well their hearts are working without having to do uh, heart catheterizations, uh, cardiac MRIs? Can we do echoes, which we do for these children every year, uh, and really get a lot of good data and sort of predict how their heart is going to do over the next three, five, 10 years? I think that would be the the goal to really, as I said a little earlier, bridge that divide between echo uh, and cardiac MRI and really be able to prognosticate a little bit better, but that always starts with good understanding of how physiology works. You cannot make good predictions for patients until you understand the physiology. So we will uh, work hard to 
collaborate with uh, everybody here uh, at your journal and, and really make use of the connections that we build uh, with other scientists to have uh, a community that takes stuff from bench to bedside, back to bench, and, and really do a circular understanding of the heart. So, Anne, um, any other areas that you've seen come through in our call for papers about the impact of aging on the cardiovascular system that you want to highlight here before we close up? Sure. So in addition to Christian paper and other research article on the impacts of aging on the cardiovascular system, we'll have a collection of review articles on various topics, including non-coding RNA and cardiac aging, the role of senescence in vasculature and circulation, um, the contributions of ion channel to vascular aging, inflammation aging clocks. So stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you so much. I just want to uh, briefly say thank you to Anne and Christian for spending your time and talking about this awesome paper. It sounds like this vortex flow mapping uh, is pretty easy technique to, to analyze. So I'd be very curious to try that out in some of my studies uh, going forward. So, so thanks for talking about that today. I just want to plug our call for papers for the impact of aging on the cardiovascular system. So please contribute, uh, submit your best work to us. And again, thank you, Anne, Christian, and Kara, of course. Thanks thank for having so me. Much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Circa podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.